0: Well, good morning, everyone. You're all doing okay this morning? Getting used to the cold? Man, this, is, this could be long. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to uh, the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible to use, you should find one to use down in one of the chair racks around you, Exodus 20. As many of you know, we're in a series called It Starts With Ten, and we're looking at the Ten Commandments uh, from this particular text And uh, one of the facts that we've been stressing from the start is how God gave these commandments to uh, the Israelites after they left Egypt. In other words, the people were rescued by the grace and power of God, not by by keeping a bunch of directives. Uh, These were given to the Israelites because freedom was a whole new experience for the people. You know, after centuries of slavery, uh, they suddenly found themselves out on their own wandering. Uh, wondering how they were, they were going to survive as a nation, you know how, to, how they were going to live in safe, sustainable uh, community. And so God gives these directives to his people to help them see and understand how healthy life and, and relationships and community is really supposed to work how it's meant to be. And when you boil them down to the basics, really the commandments are all about relationships. Uh, the first four had to do with the people's relationship to God, their creator, their rescuer. And the rest, the other six were were and are about the relationships uh, to each other, you know as human beings, as family, as friends, as neighbors, um, as people living together and God says to the people in commandment number eight in verse fifteen of chapter twenty god says i 'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt out of slavery. you shall not steal now i don 't know about you, but my, uh, my first memorable confrontation with this particular commandment, came when I was uh, about eight years old. I, I, I went out shopping, grocery shopping with my mom, and I remember it very vividly. I will never forget it. Uh, we walked into a grocery store, and on the left-hand side of the entryway was um, one of those big open displays of of candy. Yeah? You've, you've seen those before? Hence the butterscotch. It was all butterscotch candy. And so... Um, I said, to hey, Ma, can I get some candy? She said, no. I said, why not? She said, you got candy at home? I'm like, we have no candy at home. She goes, I said, no. Turns her back, walks away. So I just helped myself to a few pieces of candy stuck in my pocket. It was the perfect crime. Uh, until we got in the car and I made a, a tactical error. I put it in my mouth and, uh, butterscotch, if you know, butterscotch reeks. I mean, you put it in your mouth, everybody smells it. Immediately, my mom gets a whiff of it. And she's like, and I'm in the back seat. She's like, What's, what's that smell? What do you got? What do you got? She's reaching back. Spit that out. Spit that out. And so I spit it out in her hand. She marches me out of the car into the grocery store to the manager's desk. I confess the crime. Uh, she pays for the candy. And then all the way out, man, she is lighting me up one way and another. She's just saying, you know, you go to, you're going to go to jail for that. you could go to prison for that. You keep this kind of stuff up. You're going to get in big trouble, yada, yada, yada. All the way home. We get home. She tells my grandparents. They are on me. Uh, everybody's just beating me. Up and I felt so guilty for uh, several weeks. I kept peeking out the uh, the front window, watching for the police cruiser to come up and finally get me, carry me away. You know. Uh, now, unfortunately, the impact of that experience wore off, and several years later, I got caught up with a bunch of guys who were into uh, shoplifting and burglary. And uh, I tell you what, it was a miracle I wasn't caught and arrested eventually i stopped doing that kind of stuff i left those behaviors behind sadly for some of uh, some of the others they did not and as a result a number of them have done some jail time but look i deserved it i deserved to get, uh, to get to get caught i was i was doing some mess up stuff and and on a number of occasions numerous occasions i knowingly willfully violated the law not only not only societal law but one of the one of the commandments of god himself and, uh, you know, I'm not proud of what I did. I, but I suppose I could stand up here and, and try to lead you to believe that I was just a perfect little angel, a model citizen all my life. And I mean, with a face like this, how could you believe anything else? Right. But, uh, but I wasn't. And, uh, and and really, you know, all that stuff happened long, long time ago. I, I know it happened a long, long time ago. So like some of you who, uh, who may have a past you're not proud of it's tempting for us to look at, at, at this command and say, well, I'm no thief, at least at least not anymore. So let's not waste a lot of time on this. Uh, but here's the deal. I've come to realize you don't have to be a caught, charged, and convicted criminal to be guilty of violating this commandment of God. Why? Because stealing comes in, in many different forms. And so I want to explore that with you in the time that we have Let's begin by defining terms, because God says to the people, he says, you shall not steal. Now, the Hebrew word that's used here means to deceptively, and that's really the root, it's about deception, but the word means to deceptively take what belongs to another without their knowledge or consent. And thus, you deprive that person of what he or she has the right to. Now, it's interesting to me how all societies have rules and laws against stealing. I mean, regardless of, of nationality, culture, religion, irreligion, makes no difference. It's just one of those universally, uh, universally agreed upon human things, right? It's one of those undeniable moral realities that set us as human beings apart from the animals because animals don't hesitate to steal from each other. Uh, it's all about survival of the fittest. But as human beings, we, we take issue with it, right? We have a moral problem with it. Now, naturalists, Darwinian evolutionists, will suggest that when when an organism's neural pathways in the brain grow sufficiently complex like ours, the firings of those neurons are somehow accompanied by uh, a moral awakening, a moral consciousness. But despite decades of study by by, um, uh, neurophysiologists and, and centuries of thinking by philosophers, No one has come up with a remotely plausible explanation of how all this happens. How this lump of gray matter situated in our skulls suddenly gives rise to a moral awareness, moral consciousness, and a a universally agreed upon one at that, at least in terms of stealing. Because we all agree it's wrong. And just as every society has rules against it, every society experiences it, suffers from it, and has to deal with it. Why? Why? because envy and and greed and selfishness and an arrogant sense of personal entitlement is part of human nature the sinful part and that that sin transcends cultures all people struggle with the the urge to take what is not theirs to steal as I've already mentioned, uh, the commandments that God gives us here revolve around relationships. You know, our relationship with God uh, and our relationship with each other as human beings. And, and his command against stealing uh, ultimately is about establishing and cultivating and maintaining and sustaining safe, trusty, trusting, healthy relationships and community. It's about respecting our neighbor and, uh, and his or her right to private property. And if and when we take from someone what is not ours, we deprive that person of what they have a right to. And in so doing, we not only offend God by violating what he says is right and good and healthy, but we violate that other person, another human being. And God takes both of those violations very seriously. See, the unspoken implication of this commandment is that God allows human beings to, to own stuff. In other words, it's considered by God to be appropriate for us to acquire uh, personal wealth and property and possessions. Uh, we're free to do it. It's okay. It's even expected. But what God is also saying here is that there's an acceptable and unacceptable means of acquisition. So let's consider that for a second. What are, what are acceptable means of acquiring personal wealth, you know, property, and possessions? Um, how do we do it right? How do we do it with integrity? Well, according to Scripture, there are several ways. The first is through hard work. In the Old Testament book of Proverbs, we're told that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only uh, to, to, to poverty. And the Proverbs are just basically, you know, pithy sayings that represent how life generally works. So the idea is, if you work hard, generally you're going to make a living, but if you just talk about working, you're not going to do, do anything. You're not going to make anything. Uh, In the the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, he writes uh, the early church and he says to Christians, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands so your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so you will not be dependent upon anybody. In another letter to the church, he says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. And so according to Scripture, Uh, hard work, uh, accomplishes several things. Obviously it helps, it helps provide for our basic needs and beyond. Uh, but also as Christians, it gains us respect from the people around us, our culture, and it offers us the opportunity to share with others what we have. So hard work is an acceptable way of acquiring wealth and possessions. Second way is through wise investment and savings. Uh, in the old Testament, again, in book of Proverbs, we're told that whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. In the New Testament, Jesus one day told the story of some servants who traded and invested their money and ended up with more money. And he said their master told them, well done, good and faithful servant. And so uh, it seems Jesus endorsed this kind of wise investment and and saving uh, that enables us to acquire money and property and possessions with integrity. The third way is through the charity and the generosity of other people. You know, as we just heard Paul say, one of the benefits of hard work and prosperity is being able to share our money and our possessions and our resources with those around us who have a need. Uh, when my wife Margie and I, uh, when we finished grad school, when we came out of grad school, we, were, we really had nothing. I mean, uh, we started in ministry and we had one car and that was rough because I was always on the go and she was pregnant with, with our, first born, uh, you know, our first child and she had to go to doctor's appointments and everything. And someone, uh, someone gave us a second vehicle. We were blown away by that. I mean, it wasn't like a Maserati or anything. You know, it was a used vehicle, uh, but it it worked well. And we were really, really appreciative of it. And a few years later, when we were able to purchase a vehicle, a second vehicle of our own, we gave one of our cars to another family. And uh, we've done that several times over the years. So through the generosity and charity of other people, it's possible to appropriately uh, acquire possessions. And then a final way is through prayer. Uh, In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to his followers, he says, hey, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, um, don't get me wrong here. I am not advocating a God-wants-everybody-to-be-healthy-and-wealthy deal. Uh, that is bad theology. It's just not It's just not the tr- truth about the way life works. And uh, I'm not saying that um, uh, every time you pray for something as a son or daughter of God, as a follower, that your Heavenly Father is going to give you exactly what you want. I mean, what wise parent would ever do that? So all I'm saying, and really it's not me, it's Jesus, is this, that God loves us and he knows what, What our needs are and so asking him for what we need and even what we desire is appropriate and when God provides we should be grateful because we recognize he knows what's best for us and when God provides um, uh, you know um, in whatever fashion uh, we should respond in kind with with gratitude so hard work, wise investment, charity of others, prayer are all biblically acceptable ways to acquire uh, property, possessions, personal wealth but You know, let's face it. As we walk through life day after day, it's it's possible for us, especially in our in our culture, to get so caught up uh, in the quest for more and more stuff um, that we willingly, at times, we willingly sacrifice our integrity to get them. A-, a struggle arises out of the fact that we're all sinfully selfish creatures, and so we instinctively want more than we have, and certainly more then that person has. And as a result there are times when we utilize what God says are unacceptable means of acquiring personal wealth, property and possessions, i.e. stealing. So let's think about this very carefully because you know given the the biblical definition that stealing is deceptively taking that which belongs to another without their consent or knowledge, thus depriving that person of what he, what he or she has the right to. The harsh reality is that there are a number of ways that stealing takes place uh, in, our, in, our, in our lives and in our culture. And the first and, and really the most obvious way is, is through simple thievery. thievery. Now, when we see or hear that word most of us immediately think of, of just out-and-out out criminal activity, right? Mugging, burglary, shoplifting, robbery, carjacking, retail theft, financial fraud—the crimes of desperate men and women played out in societies every day—and we have a real negative, you know, reaction to it because down deep inside, we all know, we all know that it's just it's. To take what doesn't belong to us is wrong. It's a violation of another person's rights and property. And if you've ever had anything stolen from you, you know what that's like. You know, you know how personally violated it makes you feel. And so whether it's, it's, small-time, you know, it's a small-time petty thief or a big-time Bernie Madoff type guy, Madoff committed the largest financial fraud in U.S. history... Whether it's, whether it's small or whether it's large, we respond to theft viscerally. We, we react and we say, this is, this is crazy. This is wrong. This kind of antisocial behavior has got to stop. It's got to be punished. Criminals deserve what they get. And to be honest, uh, we, we sort of cop an attitude of superiority. And we say, man, I'm glad I'm not like those people. You know, like the muggers, the robbers, the shoplifters, the Ponzi schemers. Um, you know, I'm better than that. But here's my question. How many of us here in this room have a totally clear conscience when it comes to stealing? Are we really superior to those other people? I'm not sure we are. Understand, in the eyes of God, blatant criminal thievery is no worse than the more common concealed thievery many participate in every day. Uh, take the workplace, for example, you realize that for many companies, more money is is lost through employee theft than public theft, and so companies, in many respects, they fear their, they fear their allies more than their enemies. Why? Because somewhere along the line, average men and women got the idea that that as loyal employees we 're entitled to more than the, the salaries and benefits we agreed to, and so we, we help ourselves to some additional perks. we take what 's not rightfully ours. We steal. We steal time, for example. We we miscalculate hours. We call in sick when we're not, or we just goof off. One of the biggest problems in the workplace today is employees spending hours surfing the internet, watching YouTube, blogging on Facebook, sending pictures of puppies to friends, you know. In other instances, we, we, we just take stuff, you know we, we bring home automotive parts, tools, staplers, pens, notebooks, clothing, flash drives, food, whatever we can take that won't be missed, we pilfer. And then we, then we rationalize and we say, "Well, you know, the company can afford it. they're not going to miss it. It's no big deal, and maybe that's true. Maybe they're not going to miss it. maybe it's not a big deal to the company. But I'll tell you this, it's a big deal to, it's a big deal to God. Who saw you waste the time? And and, and and take the stuff, stuff you didn't work for, trade for, invest for, or buy. You didn't, you didn't pray for, you didn't ask anybody if you could have it. The truth is, whether it's time or it's goods, you've taken what belongs to another without their consent or knowledge. You stole it. And whether or not we want to admit it, according to God, that makes us thieves. But along with them, criminal and concealed thievery, thievery, there are are some other ways we we, we violate the Eighth Commandment. One is through deception, especially in how we do business. Again, in the book of Proverbs, uh, we're told that the Lord detests dishonest scales, but delights in accurate weights. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the ancient Near Eastern world, marketplace merchants weren't always on the up and up. They weren't always the most honest individuals. And so at times business people would rig their scales and they would gouge prices in order to, to rip off uh, innocent customers and make a few extra bucks. And while their customers had no idea what was going on, God did. And so God says, I despise dishonest business practices. It's a form of stealing, but you know, not, not all that much has changed over the centuries because business fraud is as prevalent today as it was in the ancient world. I mean, you tell me. Have any of you ever experienced theft by way of commercial deception? Chances are you have because it happens, happens a lot in, in, a, in a consumer-driven economy. False advertisement, sales hype, exaggeration, misrepresentation of goods and services still remains, in the opinion of some, an acceptable way of making a few extra bucks. Some call it the art of the deal. God calls it the art of deception, and it 's wrong uh, another another form of stealing is cheating. I mean how many of of you of us have ever cheated on a test? <laughs> if we did, then we accepted a grade we didn 't earn. We stole it. What about taxes? People cheat on taxes all the time now here 's the thing. I don't like paying taxes any more than anybody else. And God never commands me to to like it. But Jesus says as citizens, we're to give what we owe to our governing authorities. We're to pay our taxes. And for the sake of clarification, understand there's a big difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Avoiding to pay more taxes by reducing your liability through legal deductions and exemptions is fine. It's, it makes sense. It's, it's a wise thing to do. But to avoid paying what you owe by not filing your, your, your return or using illegitimate, erroneous claims and deductions is, is wrong. In essence, you're cheating the government. Dr. Dan Early. Uh, is a professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke University. He's just come out in the next, last couple of months, just come out with a new book entitled The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. I don't know if any of you have seen it. But in the book, uh, Airely shares the results of, of a study that he's done over over several years of over 30,000 people. And uh, what he found out is this. He says most people are able to cheat a little because they they can maintain the sense of themselves as basically honest people. They won't commit major fraud on their tax returns or insurance claims or expense reports, but they'll cut corners or exaggerate here or there because they don't feel that bad about it. And really what, what happens is, you know, people will cheat a little and say, yeah, I cheated a little, but I'm not a cheater. Or I, I, I stole a little, but I'm not a, I'm not a thief. And they live in this sort of, this, this denial. But here's, here's the reality. Whether you cheat in big ways or small ways, it's still cheating. It's still cheating, and it's, it's a form of stealing. Another way we steal is by defrauding people. Uh, to defraud someone means to withhold from them what is rightfully due them. Uh, defrauding creditors is a form of stealing. Uh, not paying what we owe, stalling a landlord, ignoring the electric bill uh, for months. It's not right. How about withholding child support? Can someone actually steal from their own family? Yeah, it happens all the time. You see stealing isn't isn't just about committing an act but it includes omitting to do what is required of us. In the New Testament James writes to Christians in the church he says he says if any if anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it it is sin to them. So understand the sin of the sin of stealing includes things that we do as well as things that we don't do and cheating the government, defrauding people means we omit to give them what we know they deserve and what is rightfully theirs. But perhaps the, the the most daring form of stealing comes when we willfully defraud God. When we who have experienced his love, his grace, his rescue withhold from God what is rightfully his. When it comes to the church in America today, this is no doubt the most subtle form of stealing and yet perhaps the most common way this Eighth Commandment gets violated. See, in the Old Testament, all of God's people, all believers, were required to give one-tenth of their income. That's where we get the word tithe. It means tenth. One-tenth of their income to the work of God, to the ministry of the temple. Basically, in our our terms, it would be ten cents on a dollar. In the New Testament, the tithe or the tenth isn't overtly demanded by Jesus, but he clearly affirms it as well as... Uh, other New Testament writers. Why? Because in both the Old Testament and, and New Testament times, 10% was the assumed minimum standard of financial giving. It was considered the starting point of generosity for God's people. It's what Jesus was getting at when he said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give back to God what is God's. But at, at one time in Israel's history, the people ignored this. You know, they ignored God's call to, to give and and to generosity, and so God confronted them on it. Uh, through the prophet Malachi, God asked the people, he said, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, Lord? In tithes and offerings, God says. So here's my Reke here's my translation of that. God says, after all I've done for you, says the people, after all I've done for you, after all I've given you, all I ask is for you, uh, for you, for the sake of my kingdom, for the sake of work, for the sake of helping people, all I ask is for you to return to me as an expression of worship and gratitude and generosity, as well as demonstrating that you worship me only, not other stuff. All I ask is for a tenth of what you have. Yet you guys, he says, have an incredible difficulty uh, doing that. And you just need to know that when you withhold from me, you're essentially robbing me. Well-known researcher and author, George Barna, published a book a while back entitled Boiling Point, in which he examines the condition of American culture and explores why the Christian church is struggling to uh, impact it. Uh, and you know, what, you know what Barna says the biggest barrier? Christians. Based on his research and his analysis, he asserts that the reason the church is struggling to make a difference in our culture is because believers think of themselves as individuals first, Americans second, and Christians third. And he says until that prioritization is rearranged, the church will continue to lose its influence. Now he wrote that I think about nine years ago, but it remains true today. It seems to me that the rampant individualism of our culture has spread like a cancer through the body of Christ in America. What matters most to us is us. We've become so self-absorbed that our own comfort, our own preferences, our own desires uh, are are paramount to anything else, to anybody else. And as a result of this ever-increasing selfish individualism, there's a church-wide stewardship scandal which is hampering the cause of Jesus. In short, Christians are defrauding God. They 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 steal they steal from Him uh, due to self commitment and, and other priorities. They withhold sharing their God given gifts and talents and abilities that are that are meant to help others. And and they hoard their, their they hoard their resources. They hoard their money instead of out of worship and loving gratitude, generously giving to God what He asks for and what is rightfully His. Look, this is this is how I see it personally. In many respects, the tenth issue, the tithe. It serves, as a, um, it serves as a pragmatic way of diagnosing who I am, whether I'm a sinner saved by grace or a religious moralist. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, if I look at, if I look at 10%, which scripture portrays as the minimum amount to give back to God, uh, as a religious moralist, I'm going to say, that's outrageous. That's outrageous. That's unreasonable. I'm not going to do that. But as a person who understands the love and grace of God, I say, wow. God asks for 10%, I, I get to keep 90%. Okay. I'm in. By by faith I'm going to do it. it might be hard at first. It might be hard to get there, but I'm I'm going to get there. I would never say it's outrageous and unreasonable. If you feel that 10% is unreasonable, you know, to give to to the cause of him who loves you and has graciously given you everything that you have, including life everlasting. You may not really know him, know him. I would go so far to say that anyone with the attitude that says, okay, okay, you know, what do I have to give to God? I would say that attitude suggests that that person's grasp of Christianity and the gospel of grace is is merely intellectual, not experiential. Because when you understand what God has done for you and you embrace and experience the reality of divine grace and love and rescue, you don't ask, what do I have to give? Instead, you ask, what can I give? How generous can I be? How generous will I be? A well-known Scottish pastor um, named Robert Murray McChaney put it this way. He said, to give largely and liberally, not grudging at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. And he's right. Listen, stealing means not only taking what is not yours, but keeping what belongs to somebody else. And God says to us as his people, squandering your time just on yourself, wasting your talents, and and spending all your money in personal affairs and interests rather than investing it in the cause of grace, the work of Jesus. The work of God's kingdom is the same God says as stealing from me. And make no mistake about it, selfish individualism makes thieves of, of us all, even in the church. And I suppose that's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians and said, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. It's fascinating to me, um, in that book, uh, one of the things that Dan Early says that he learned through this study, this research of, of over 30,000 people, is he says, he says, I've learned that small reminders of ethical standards can be very powerful. When we remind people about their morality, they cheat, they steal, and they lie less. If that's true, then the eighth commandment, you shall not steal, serves as such a reminder. A reminder of who God calls us to be. Men and women of integrity, gratitude, and generosity. And it begs the question, are we? If so, great. If not, then who are we ripping off? What are we taking that isn't ours to take? What are we keeping that isn't ours to keep? Who are we deceiving? Who are we cheating? Who are we defrauding? Those are hard questions. But what I'm going to do is, um, in closing here, I'm going to pray, and then I'm just, going to, I'm just going to give us some space, some quiet some quiet moments to reflect on all this and ask ourselves those questions and, uh, and to wrestle with them uh, before God. So let me just pray, and then I'm going to give you a few moments of reflection. Our Father, we... Uh, we recognize how stealing, taking what does not belong to us, or keeping what does not belong to us, damages relationships. It damages our relationship with you because we have violated what you say is right and good and true and, and healthy, and we violate other people. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be honest with you right now. In and, and what ways might we be violating this commandment? Um, what are we taking? What are we keeping that is not ours to keep. Who are we cheating? Who are we um, defrauding? I pray in the next few moments, Lord, you, you would help us to be honest with ourselves and with you. Our Father, in the craziness of our culture, the noisiness of our culture, it's hard to be quiet for any length of time. Uh, it's easier for us to fill our minds and our ears with with uh, with noise rather than sit just with ourselves and with you and allow you to speak to us and speak into us and to reveal to us those areas that we need to work on and we need to deal with. Uh, Areas in our lives where there's some unhealthy behavior, where we struggle with greed and envy and, and deceit and these kind of things that destroy relationships, uh, things that hamper even, uh, the work of your ministry and bringing the message of love and grace to our world. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, recognize, um, who we are and, um, where we are in all this uh, with this issue of of stealing. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help all of us to uh, return to you and to uh, offer ourselves to you, knowing that you you have life for us and you know what is best and right and healthy. And so uh, we confess our sin and we turn away from it and we offer ourselves to you again.